We continue from the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 6. This time the text is Numbers 6, the verses 22 to 27. And there we read the following. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, at the end of every worship service, the minister lifts up his hands and um, gives the benediction, lays the blessing on the congregation, and we usually have the blessing of our text in number six, given at the end of the morning worship service. Now, a blessing in the Bible, uh, as we have in our text, is more than just a wish like Um, You know, I wish you well. This blessing for God's people is positive and powerful for them. It's laid on them. If you believe what he says over you, then his words of blessing are loaded with divine power for your life. And that's a wonderful thing to be able to believe when you leave the assembly of God's people here after you've received that blessing. And let's listen to what our text this morning says about that blessing. And the theme is the blessing of the Lord laid on his people. We see three things. The context, the content, and the consequence of this blessing. First, the context of this blessing. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that includes you. The blessing of our text was part and parcel of the prescriptions for the liturgy of worship in the Old Testament church given in the ceremonial law of Moses. You most likely know that the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the books of Moses, contain all the the regulations for the liturgy and worship of God's people. Israel's worship, especially then the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus. You have the detailed description there of how they were to worship God in the tabernacle, how the whole tabernacle was put together, the instruction for the priests, the instructions for the Sabbath, the feast days, the prescription for the sacrifices which the Israelites had to bring in all kinds of circumstances, even the exact amount of oil and flour which had to be used with those sacrifices too. When you read the book of Numbers too, it's striking how structured all of worship was And how detailed all those instructions for the Old Testament church. Abiding by the liturgy God prescribed through Moses was a big thing in Old Testament Israel. And the Lord wanted them to keep those regulations exactly. It's true that we don't have those kinds of prescriptions for worship in the New Testament. So detailed. You don't find exact regulations for worship for the Christian church in the New Testament. In various places in the New Testament, we get some instruction and some idea how worship went in the church of Corinth or in Ephesus. But nowhere do we find in the New Testament the exact 
instructions on how worship was to play, take place in the New Testament. In the same way it happened, they were given those instructions in the, in the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul does write, 1 Corinthians 11, that they were to have common practices among the churches. And he gives instructions on the right way of celebrating the Lord's Supper. And a few chapters later, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, he instructs that everything in the worship services be done in a fitting and orderly way. But for the rest, a lot is left in the freedom of the Christian churches. They have to under, figure that out. And now freedom, when you hear the word freedom, that might mean for some that we can fill in the worship services any way we want. As long as the majority is okay with it, we can, we can fill it in the way we want. That's how a lot of churches today have reacted to the lack of exact prescriptions for worship in the New Testament. But that there are not exact instructions shouldn't bring us to think that everything in the Old Testament is passed and done away with and we're free to develop our own manner of worship according to our own tastes today. No, there, that there are fewer instructions in the New Testament should make us careful because it means that even though the Old Testament shadows have been fulfilled in Christ and the ceremonial laws for worship have been done away with by Christ, the tabernacle and so on, the basic principles for worship, for meeting God in worship, are actually the same. It's like with infant baptism. There are no explicit commands to baptize infants in the New Testament, but the lack of that command shows the continuity with the Old Testament. The Old Testament rule that infants are included in the covenant with their parents is then continued in the New Testament. As infants were circumcised in the Old Testament, received the sign and seal of the covenant, so infants received the sign and seal of baptism in the New Testament. And it's something like that with worship, too. There's a line from the Old Testament into the New Testament. We don't make a complete break between the two, as many evangelical churches want to do today. In the New Testament, the Lord wants to meet with his people in worship like he did in the Old Testament. So like in the Old Testament, our worship services today are also then a covenant meeting between God and his people, as they were in the Old Testament. And in that covenant meeting of God with his people, that Old Testament blessing of our text still plays an important role. In that blessing, God's love and favor towards his people is expressed. His name is laid on his people. And therefore, we still use that blessing today. So that worship service then is a, a worship service, a covenant meeting between God and his people. Today too, here, in this worship service, God and his people. In the Old Testament, that meeting was connected with the sacrifices though. You know that every day of the week, but especially on the Sabbath day, sacrifices were being brought on the altar in the tabernacle, later in the temple. And those sacrifices always had a kind of similar rhythm. Guilt offerings, Atonement offerings, thank and praise offerings. Those elements always marked the meeting of God and his people. First, a people heard the law, and they humbled themselves because of their sins. 
And then atonement for sin was made and forgiveness was proclaimed. And then there was an expression of thanksgiving and devotion to God. Those were the main, that, that was a main framework of worship. And that worship was always concluded with the priest raising his hands to give this threefold blessing in the name of God. And that blessing confirmed the covenant relationship, was a pronouncement that everything was good here between God and his people, and that he would go with them when they left their worship and went out into their daily life. So the blessing always came after the sacrifices for sin, proclamation of forgiveness, and the thanksgiving. We know that in the time of the temple, that happened even, you could say, on a daily basis too. After the morning and evening sacrifice of every day, the priest came to the steps of the temple and he raised his hands and he blessed the people who were present there. After the destruction of the temple, the blessing was given in the synagogues on the Sabbath. After the Sabbath worship, someone of the priestly family. So the blessing always followed that same pattern of worship, the confession of sin, sacrifices, and pronouncement of deliverance, and the declaration of thankfulness. And you recognize in that, by the way, the three parts of self-examination before the Lord's Supper, which we hope to celebrate this afternoon. Admission of sin, confession of deliverance in Christ, and promise to show thankfulness with one's entire life. And that's the whole setup of the Heidelberg Catechism. That's, that comes out of Old Testament worship. The three main components of worship in the Old Testament, and therefore also it flows into the New Testament. Also our worship today. We have the law at the beginning. Prayer for forgiveness. And then the word. Proclamation of the word and thanksgiving in prayer at the end. And, and the blessing. And that, with that conclusion of worship, God has his blessing then proclaimed on his people. Confirms the renewal of the covenant relationship between him and his people. And they leave worship with his favor on them then you also, if you think about it that way, you also understand why the Lord Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven with hands outstretched in blessing, as we read that in, in Luke 24, 40 days after his resurrection from the dead. The covenant had been confirmed by his sacrifice on the cross. People had been called to repentance for their sins through the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus. Jesus offered himself as the once-for-all sacrifice for the sins of his people. They rejoiced at his resurrection, devoted themselves to serving him, and then he blessed them. Luke 24, 50 and 51, lifted up his hands and blessed them. And now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And with that last action of their Lord to bless them, the disciples knew that they could go out with their life and tasks in this world under the, the promises of God. And the New Testament church, in fact, still lives under those same blessing hands of the Lord Jesus, whereby he confirmed the new covenant with us. We live in that new covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a covenant with a sacrifice. Christ sacrificed himself once for all for his people. Covenant with a priest. Jesus Christ is our high priest forever. It's a covenant with blessing because Jesus blessed us with his spirit. So in, the, in this covenant, too, God seeks the relationship with his people in the new covenant. Wants to meet with his people as in the old covenant. The worship services, the church of Christ, 
are the continuation of the worship services of the Old Covenant too. So this is then also a covenant meeting of the triune God with his people. There are a lot of differences, Old Testament, New Testament, but there are also a lot of things that are the same. Covenant line the same, humbling because of sins, to the proclamation of forgiveness and thankfulness and devotion. And then the whole covenant relationship confirmed then with the blessing of God at the end. In the course of history, the church of Christ has always given form to that covenant meeting with God in worship. That same form. The early church. The proclamation of forgiveness by the blood of Christ in word and sacrament and thankfulness and devotion in song and offertory. And the blessing of the triune God given to the congregation at the end is confirmation of everything, of God's relationship with them. Confirmation of the blessing hands of the Lord Jesus when he ascended into heaven. So you, you receive, congregation, at the end of every worship service, the confirmation of your God's favor on you as you leave to go about your life again into the week. Sin, deliverance, thankfulness, and then blessing from God all because of Jesus Christ. We come then to the second thing we want to pay attention to this morning, the content of this blessing. Congregation, the blessing spoken at the end of a worship service can so just so easily become, you know, just some words, some garbled words at the end. Uh, everyone's getting their stuff ready to leave, right? It's what we do. We can get so used to things. Some good words, maybe to close the worship service, sort of nice, polite goodbye, and it's over. Over and out. But that blessing at the conclusion of our worship is a lot more than just some nice words, congregation. You see that when you think about what we read, uh, Moses' words in Deuteronomy 30. Those words are part of Moses' farewell sermon just before his death. And Moses confronts the people of Israel at the border of the promised land with a choice in his farewell sermon. Listen again what he says in the verses 19 and 20, Deuteronomy 30. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. I have sent before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Blessing. And he describes blessing there as life. Curse means death. So God's blessing laid on you before you leave worship is more than just words. They are life for you. Words from the God of life. And he will do as he says with that blessing. And that power of that blessing isn't just in the words themselves. It's not a magic spell. The, word, the power of those words is in the person behind those words. The triune God himself speaks from his eternal heart in that blessing. Binds himself to you in love. And that makes the difference for you between life and death. Cursing and blessing to receive and then also receive that to receive and believe that blessing is to have life from the God of life 
And when Moses received the original command, number six, to give Aaron and his sons the authority to lay that blessing on the people in the wilderness there on the way to the promised land, you know, that journey that was one that was fraught with all kinds of dangers and hardships. But all throughout that journey, Aaron and his sons, every, every day and especially on the Sabbath day, were allowed to lay the blessings of the Lord God on that covenant people every time they were together for worship. And not, not with words that they just made up themselves, but words that God gave them to lay on them from God's heart. It says in the text, So they, Aaron and his sons, shall put my name on the children of Israel. Put my name on them. Other translations have, they shall lay my name on them. It's like a blanket. You leave here with that on. And God's name is who he is and what he does. It's God himself. And that blessing then comes from God himself from his heart. And in giving that blessing to his people, he says, you don't have to go it alone here when you leave. I'll be with you. I'm going with you. No matter what happens in your life, no matter where you go, I'll be with you with my power and grace. I bind my name to you. Follow me and I'll give you life and bring you into the promised land. So if you receive the blessing of the Lord God, he gives himself in that as the triune God. He gives everything he stands for to you. Listen to that threefold blessing Aaron was to lay on the people after the sacrifices and thanksgiving in the tab- tabernacle. That same blessing you hear in the worship service today at the end. And notice the threefold repetition of his covenant name. Lord. The Lord. Right? With capital letters. Yahweh. I am who I am. The Lord bless you and keep you. And that speaks of God the Father's protection. This is God the Father. His protection. He'll watch over your life, the lives of his children. And if you need proof that he will do that, you see how he did that during Israel's journey through the wilderness. Fed them with manna, gave them water from the rock, helped them overcome their enemies, brought them to the land, and that counts for today too. I know sometimes we may feel alone and abandoned because of our trouble and suffering and our sorrows. Where's the Lord's protection? But brothers and sisters, boys and girls, I can't understand everything. I know that God knows, and I can just point out to you that the Lord's covenant assurance has been given to you. I will keep you. The Lord bless you and keep you. He'll keep us standing, even in time of trial. Give us what we need to go on in faith. And at the end, it will be seen that even in the difficult things we encountered, That he was working for our good in those things too. And then that second phrase. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. It speaks of of the restored relationship between God and his people. Because of God's grace in the sacrifices that in the Old Testament. A shining face is a face you know that smiles at you. God's face shining upon you. He's positive towards you when he looks down and you hear from heaven. Even as a sinner, even though you're a sinner, his grace means that it's restored. The relationship is restored. You're reconciled to him. And in New Testament terms, it means that God looks at you positively because of the sacrifice of Christ 
for you. God looks on us with love and affection in Christ. And he'll be gracious to you. His forgiving love in Christ will go with you. It won't be easy when you leave here. You will stumble. There will be temptations. You will fall. But you know that his, his face shines on you. And he is gracious to you then. You can live in the light of the deliverance and forgiveness God has worked in Jesus Christ. And then you can think already of the Israelites on their journey. Many sins. But atonement was made in the tabernacle. And so they could go on again under God's grace toward the promised land. And we can go toward the promised land with God's grace and goodness on us too. And then the final phrase. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Now peace. That is to have confidence and joy in your heart. Rest in your heart. That's... That's the work of God, the Holy Spirit. That's how we can go on in life from day to day, deal with all the disappointments and the sorrows that come with this life too. In the peace that passes all understanding in our hearts, in Christ, worked by the Holy Spirit. And that peace is the high point in the covenant relationship with the triune God. And that's why the first thing Jesus said to his disciples when he met them after his resurrection on Easter day was, peace be with you. See, congregation, that threefold blessing, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, gives himself to his people. And that blessing is more than just a pious wish. It's a promise from the triune God himself that he is your covenant God who, will, who wants to go with you when you leave here and bless you in your life even outside of that meeting with him and you here. He set his heart on you, wants to keep you, be gracious to you, and give you peace through everything you meet when you go about your life outside of the worship here. He gives us to he gives himself to us. He gives us life. He gives us himself. He'll go with us every step of the way toward the promised land to everlasting life on the new earth. And that brings us to the third point, the consequence of this blessing. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, boys and girls, the school year's almost over. At the end of the school year, you'll be officially, right, you School's out. Teacher says some nice words. You might have an assembly. And you're officially dismissed. You can go. Goodbye. Have a safe, enjoyable summer. At the end of the worship services, we're dismissed too. You know, we're sent on our way into the new week with God's blessing. And that blessing goes with us wherever we go. When we go about our work our lives at home, wherever we are on the road, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit promise that they will be with us everywhere we are. Covenant relationship between him and us is confirmed again. That's what he's telling you. He'll go with you as you go into your daily life. As long as you also follow him. As long as you let him lead you as he led the Israelites to Canaan. 
So you realize, I hope there's actually no big separation between our worship and our work, between the liturgy here and our life out there either. Yes, we meet God here in worship. The covenant is confirmed. That's why we need to be in the worship services whenever or wherever we can. The triune God confirms that everything is good between him and us. He'll therefore be with us when we leave. We live with God everywhere and always, no matter how difficult our circumstances, how big the questions we struggle with. We're never, ever alone. God laid his name on us at the conclusion of our worship on Sunday, and we can go our way trusting he'll always be with us, cared for by God the Father, delivered by God the Son, being renewed by God the Holy Spirit. Our whole life lived under God's blessing, power, grace, and peace, always there in our life as long as we Also, follow him, look to him. His face shines on us. So what a glorious thing to receive that blessing at the end of every worship service. Because with it, God doesn't say, till we meet again next Sunday. No, he says, look, I'm going with you this week. The God of all power, the God of all grace, and the God of all life commits himself to go with us when we leave and promises to equip us for our task in our day-to-day life. In fact, you could say that our worship doesn't even end with the blessing at the end of the worship service, but our worship continues into the week under God's blessing. For that blessing is the call to worship God in everything we do. He wants what happens in the worship service here to be lived in our daily lives out there. And then, as he says with the blessing of our text, he'll always be there with us 